church family. What an anointed worship service, praise God. Thank you, worship team. Can we honor them and thank them? I loved what Lauren said this morning when she said, you know, the enemy attacks and he comes and just an onslaught of all the insecurities, all the reasons why we are not sufficient to do what God has assigned us to do. And she said, and then I'll just remind them what the Word of God says. And that that just rolls right in perfectly with our service today. So this morning, by the grace of God, we're going to conclude the Confidence of the Believers series that was started earlier this year. So if you've been taking notes, this is part three, uh, and it is the Confidence of the Believer, the Word of God. If you didn't catch the first two sermons, I'm going to recap them real quickly. I know we have some family from Christ Chapel East. Maybe you weren't here. Maybe you just forgot. It's been a while since we circled back to this series. The Lord moved me a different direction the last two times I've been able to preach. So this sermon's been prepared like four different times. (laughs) So if I don't do it right, then that's all my fault. So in part one, we talked about the confidence of the individual believer. The first point was that it is a personal confidence. We must each have our own faith and confidence. It's personal. There's no faith vouchers, no faith subsidies. No one else can write a check and subsidize your faith. I love to support other believers when they walk through valleys. And I I appreciate and and covet the prayers of the body of Christ when, when calamity strikes in my life. But in the depth of the darkness... In my individual trials, it is my faith and confidence. It must be mine. My mother's faith, my pastor's faith, my Sunday school teacher's faith, my prayer partner's faith, that does me no good and will not see me through when I'm alone in those dark trials. I look to God Almighty from which my help comes, and I rest in his grasp. In his grasp, I am his, and he is my God, and my faith and confidence are mine. And believer, I'm telling you, you have to have yours. You have to dig for that. You have to be in the word for that. You have to experience life with Christ at the center for that. It is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. We seek after God as the deer panteth towards the water. It's not just because the deer is thirsty. But the deer can run through the water and get the scent off of them. And the wolf that's tracking them loses them at the creek. I praise God for the low valleys and the seasons that have bolstered my faith. And that I have a faith. And that I have a reliance. A firm, exclusive reliance in Jesus Christ and his finished work. And that faith is mine. And stripped naked in front of whatever panel. They cannot take that from me. And you must have yours. Nobody can do it for you, and God is not going to do it for you. Number two during that sermon was, it is a singular confidence. Our confidence is in Christ alone. In Acts 4.12, we read, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter made this claim before the same council that had just a few months prior arrested Christ and pushed for his execution, his, his crucifixion. 
How was Peter able to do that? We talked last week in the transition about how he had so much self-confidence. And then when confronted by the little slave girl outside of the council, he wilted. And all of his confidence was in self. I submit to you that he had the confidence to speak those words before that council because he had a personal faith and confidence in Christ and he was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Seek to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The thing you cannot do in your own strength, you can do when you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And it is an internal confidence. We do not place our faith in the confidence of the tinsel crowns of temporal success or provision. Do not get lost in the rat race of this world worrying about how you're going to make ends meet. Those things are important. Don't quit your job and say, Pastor Jason told me to quit my job and stand on the corner and preach Jesus and now I don't have anything and it's all his fault. That's not what I'm telling you. We all got problems. We all got responsibilities. But at the center of our life, the thing that holds us firm in the storm is our faith in Christ. And it is an eternal faith, loved one. It is not for today because we are not of this world and we are not staying here. We are visitors. We are on our way to Zion. And when the trump sounds, he is coming back just like he said. And those that have died in the faith will be brought up in the air and those of us that are still living will be brought up in the air and with the same power with which he brings everything in this world under his control, he will do away with these weak and mortal bodies and so with him shall we ever be believers. It is an eternal confidence. These are your confidences, the confidence of the individual believer. In part two, we talked about the truth that God is still. Dot, dot, dot. Points to follow. God is still. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging The first point in that sermon was God is still the God that opens closed wounds. When we start reading in 1 Samuel and read the story of Hannah, it it might surprise you that sometimes your season of drought was God-ordained. It said that the Lord closed Hannah's womb. Not just she went to the doctor and found out she wasn't fertile and it was a lot of crying and praying and testing and going through hormone therapy and all, it said the Lord closed her womb. And this hurt because the other wife had kids and she poked fun. Ha, 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 the God you serve can't provide, can he? Look what I got. I'm somebody and you're not. That hurt Hannah. And she wept bitterly before the Lord. Do you know that when you're hurting, you don't fake it till you make it? You faith it, you put your faith in God, and there's times that you weep bitterly before the Lord. There's times that you raise your hand and praise and worship to God Almighty with tears streaming down your face. There's times where you look at the temporal facts and say, nothing here is going to work, God. You have to do it. And you know what's awesome about those seasons? You get to see him do it. And if he doesn't, absent from the body's present from the Lord. If I die, if they take my life, okay. I don't have to go to work Monday. (laughs) 
All y'all people with them, them, whatever the big lottery was, all them tickets at home in the trash can that didn't pan out for you, you'll be at work, I'll be not here. <laughs> Kill me. will <laughs> be all right. She wept bitterly before the Lord, prayed, God, please give me a son. She was so sorrowful and, and so overwhelmed by this emotion that Eli, the, the temple priest, thought she was drunk. And it's like, what's she going to do? Get out of here, drunk man. When, when, how are you going to keep carrying on with all this wine? Get out of here. And she's like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. I'm praying before the Lord God. I'm submitting my request to him. The only one that can help me right now. And I don't care what it looks like to you. And I don't care that you misunderstand it. Because I am going into the throne room of God and making my petition known unto him. And... You know what happened? God gave her a son. And she promised God, she said, you give me a son and I'm going to give him right back to you. And she did. She was faithful to her word. She was conceived a son and as soon as he was weaned, she took him back to the temple and Eli raised him and that became the prophet Samuel. The one that anointed Saul. The one that anointed King David. The one that ruled Israel. She went on to have other kids she got to keep at the house too. God is still the God that opens closed wounds. Be confident, believer, in this age. God is still the God that provides in desert places. When he took the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't take them the most direct path. He took them for a walkabout in the desert. There's not a lot of provision out there. But God doesn't need anything to do what he wants to do. He needs nothing to do everything. He provided a manna to eat. He provided quail to eat. He provided a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided out of nothing. He didn't need anything. He's God. He provided in desert places. When the prophet Elijah was sent to hang out by a brook, he had a raven bring Elijah food. And was, he was provided water by the brook. God did that. I don't know how many ravens you guys see driving DoorDash these days. But can't be many. And birds aren't into sharing. I don't know if you've ever been around a flock of birds. If you haven't, Finding Nemo is a great resource. I recommend it. Just toss it in with your kid. You'll see some seagulls, all of them. As soon as any one of them sees a snack, mine, 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 mine. Nobody's like, boy, I sure would like to pick this up and fly it over to that guy by the brook and drop it off for him. Hope he enjoys that. Here he's a good tipper. How did that happen? Because God provides in desert places. He, he needs nothing to do everything. Then the brook dried up. But God sustained Elijah, a widow, and her son with just enough food for every day. She, he walks in the house. She's there. She's like, I'm making this last cake. Me and my boy are going to eat it so we die a little less hungry. This is where we're at. And he's like, well, just make me a cake first. She's like, okay. The Lord says so. I'm going to believe. And every day they had enough food, just enough they didn't live their best life now. They didn't live in abundance, but they had enough. They were sustained, and God sustained them in a desert place. When there was no way, 
God needs nothing to do absolutely everything. If you submit to him and you walk according to his word, you are going to see his hand of provision in your life. And if it's not in the temporal, my friend, all the better because we store our treasure in heaven where not dust nor moth nor rust nor thief nor anything can get to it. Store your treasure in heaven. God is still the God that opens prison doors. Peter, John, Paul, Silas, all of them were delivered out of prison. Peter was delivered twice. He's taken out of prison, and the angel says, now go back and do the very same thing you got arrested for. I feel like I'd be like, team, team huddle, real quick, so you know the reason I'm in the jail, right? And the angel's like, yeah, so we delivered you and John, so if y'all could just make your way back to the temple and start preaching Jesus again, that'd be great. I mean, he just walked me out of prison one time. Why not? We got to be all in, believer. So they go into the middle of the temple and they start preaching. And the council that wants to bring them forward, they're like, where did these guys go? And then like PFC, whoever comes up and is like, "Uh, guys, y'all aren't going to believe this, but they are actually in the temple preaching again. (laughs) Then James gets put to death with the sword. Peter's arrested in Jerusalem. He's asleep. My boy ain't even worried about jail no more. He's just asleep. You know how I know? Because the angel had to strike him and wake him up and walk him out of prison again. And then he goes to the prayer meeting where all the believers got together. They said, come on over to John Mark's mother's house this week. We're going to have a prayer meeting for Peter. He's been arrested again. Think they're going to try to kill him again. They're at the prayer meeting. Peter knocks on the door. Hey, it's Peter. They're like, Peter's in jail, but we're praying for him. The servant girl's like, wait, no, it's, he, he won't give up. I mean, it's either Peter or a crazy person. Somebody else has to come talk to him. They open the door, and they see it's Peter, and they're like, sometimes you're in the middle of praying for something, and God is moving, and you can't see it, and the answer is right there. His blessing, his fulfillment, his promise, the answer is right there on the other side of the door, and we don't open it. Do we have faith that God is who he says he is? That he is still the God that opens closed wounds? That he is still the God that doesn't need anything to provide for our needs? That he is still the God that will shatter the foundations of a prison like at Philippi when he delivered Paul? Paul and Silas, wrongly accused, stripped naked, beaten, locked in the inner dungeon, and it's like, you know, I think it's time we sing praise. Think about that faith. Think about where their mind goes. I have nothing here. I'm in a stockade, in a limestone dungeon. I can't see. The rats are nibbling on my feet. My back's laid open. I'm having a really rough week. What should we do? Let's sing praise to God. Can you imagine being a prisoner in that cell and these two dudes that just got whooped up on are up in here singing, Jesus loves me? Jesus paid it all? Waking you up, like, hey, man, y'all take that somewhere else. And then the prison, the foundation of the prison breaks. You know how I know it made a big impact on those guys? Because the prison doors opened and Paul said, don't leave, and they didn't. How come Paul and Silas didn't leave? The prison doors are open. The presence of God was there. He's already shown you that prison can't hold you in. It's not greater than him. 
The world is not greater than God. The world has threats that can make your life uncomfortable, but the world is made by, sustained by, created by God. It is not greater than God. He didn't need a master escape plan when three Hebrew boys refused to bow before an idol dedicated to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and the spokesperson of them, he goes, I don't take care to answer you, king. My king is greater than you, and he can deliver me from this, and he will. And if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down to you because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, uh, you know, all the theologians in here that went, wait, that was Old Testament. I know. Just roll with me, okay? We can have that conversation later. And they did not bow. They did not submit to the pressures of the world. And, but God didn't put the furnace out. He walked in there with them. He appeared there with them. And they came out, and they were sustained, and they were preserved, and their clothes did not even smell like smoke. That's why we have confidence as believers and followers of Christ. Now we're going to move into the third and final installment of this series, The Confidence of the Believer in the Word of God. Before I get started in this sermon, I want everyone to know I'm preaching to myself today as much as I'm preaching to anyone here. If you, can, if you feel conviction, know that I feel it all the more, for I stand before you a flawed and insufficient man to speak about the awesome word of God today. When we talk about the insufficiencies attacking on Saturday night, that, that is universal if you're in reverent fear of the Lord and going to stand and represent him to his people. The Word of God is foundational. I know it was a long intro, one point. The Word of God is foundational. Foundations are built at the beginning of any construction project, and a weak foundation will have a systemic and catastrophic effect. Improperly built foundations have detrimental impacts throughout the entire existence of the structure. Door jams get all crazy. They don't shut right. Windows aren't doing right. Hallways get dips. The foundation's off, everything else is going to be off. I, I lived in a house one time where, depending on how the foundation was sinking, I could or could not lock my deadbolt. You know, I had that door, that handle, though, we could get that. But depending, if this side of the house was sinking a little bit, we, we got to wait for the other side to sink a little bit more and catch up, then we hit that deadbolt. The Word of God is our foundation. And what have you built your foundation and confidence on? Your faith and confidence. That's why I love what Lauren said this morning. Because when the enemy attacks, she reminds him what the word of God says. It is critical, believer, that you are in the word. There are no faith vouchers. It is personal confidence. Remember, you have to study the Bible. You have to pick up the Holy Scripture. You have to seek God and let the Holy Spirit reveal what the Lord has for you in Scripture. Yes, do not forsake the fellowship of the believer, the brethren. Come to church. But there are things that are going to happen in your private time. We cannot faithfully unpack the entire counsel of God's word for you during a 30-minute sermon 52 times a year. you got to be in your word. Is my foundation built on faith in my favorite TV pastor? If so, it's on a weak foundation. Is my foundation built on faith in someone on a stage? If so, your foundation is flawed, cracked, and the, the structure is going to suffer. 
Is my foundation built on anything less than Jesus Christ, the word of God, a firm, exclusive, reliant, and in all-in faith in Christ alone? If it is not built on Christ, if it is not built on the word of God, it is a weak foundation. Whatever you've heard up to this point, believe that. Write that down. If it is not built on Christ, if it is not built on the word of God, your foundation is flawed. We read the word of God to know him. It is his special revelation of himself to us. The Bible exists because of God. God doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible's not found in the fiction section. It's not a Marvel character. It is God Almighty. Let our confidence, let our faith be built on the firm foundation of God's unfailing love. He is faithful and he is true. His word is inerrant. It is infallible. It is living and unchanging. It is forever settled. It is the word of God. And it is the only reliable foundation that the believer can build their life upon. People will let you down. Church groups will let you down. Prayer partners will let you down. Everything will let you down except God and his word. And if you had more faith in that thing than you did in God and his word, you'll blame God for that thing's failure and you'll walk away. I've done it. I warn you. Do not do that. Do not misplace your faith. Do not build your foundation on the errancy of this world. Jesus thought the word of God was important. He's one of the lesser known people that are recorded in the Holy Scriptures, Jesus. But if you read carefully, you'll find that was sarcastic. For, I'm sorry. Sometimes my mind it just, bless my wife, she has to deal with this all the time. So Jesus in John, John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Two hours on a Sunday morning for a check in the box so you can tell your friends at the water cooler I'm a Christian is not what he said right there. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abide, the original Greek word, is a primary verb. means to stay in a given place, in a given state, in a given relation, or in a given expectancy, to stay. Abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, and tarry. If you abide... In my word, if I stay in his word, if I, if I uh, if stand in his word, if I endure in his word, if I dwell in his word, if I am present in his word, if I foster relationship with him through his word, then I'm truly his disciple. Now, before you get yourself caught up into all my perfectionists out there that look for a plug and chug formula, your boy right here knows what you're going through. Now, before you try to just lay out this framework and, okay, if I abide in the Word, and I'm going to abide in the Word, and I'm going to do it this much, and da 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 
equals true disciple. No. The formula is backwards. True disciple equals I'm going to abide in his word. We're not saved by abiding in his word. We abide in his word because we are saved, because he saved us, because we have a hunger to know him more, to walk in close relationship with him, to have the relationship with the one that has saved us, that redeemed our life from the pit. I want to abide in his word. I want to remain in his word. I want to have a relationship with him through his word. I want to know the truth. I want to be set free from the spiritual bondage of this age through the knowledge of his word and truth. Is that your desire too? Then do it. There's no secret. Open the Bible and do it. We must abide in his word. The word of God is foundational. Foundations are started at the beginning. So we're going to go to the beginning of the word. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, what we believe about these verses will impact how we view every aspect of God. Did he really step out onto zero things, nothing, and create everything, all things? Is he really before time? Did he create time? Is he an outside of time? Did he speak everything we know into existence, and does he sustain it by the power of his word? And I answer these questions with a resounding and an unmoving yes. Why? Because it says so in the Word of God, and that is what my answer is built on, the foundation that is the Word of God. In John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and Gen- in John 1, we have a parallel In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Also, in the beginning, the Word was God. The Word was with God, and He was there. And then also, the Holy Spirit hovers over the face of the deep. There's the Trinity right there. One God, three persons. Oversimplification. The Father thinks it. The Son says it. The Holy Spirit does it. That's how you, one God, three persons. They're all present at the beginning when a trinity of trinities was spoken into existence, time, space, and matter, time, future, present, past, space, length, width, height, matter, gas, liquid, solid, a perfect trinity of trinities created by the spoken word of God, the perfect trinity. And in him, that is Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why do I have confidence in my my Savior, my believer, I'm a believer in my God? Because no matter what the world, what the critics, what the cynics say, the darkness has not overcome the light, and Jesus reigns supreme. Is there going to be times coming in America where the comfort of the Christian, the Western believer is stripped? I believe so. And I think it's time to prepare for that. Because the, less, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war. And you know why people are able to just remind the enemy what the Word of God says when he comes with this onslaught of attacks and insecurities? 
because they've been abiding in the Word of God. You're not going to know what to say if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't meditate on it, if you don't hide it in your heart. In the first part of Hebrews, it says, Long ago at many times, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet, but it, by the prophets. But in this last day, He has spoken to us by His Son Jesus, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The Bible does not contradict itself; it is systematically cohesive. He is the radiance that is Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. And when I hide my faith in that, and I stand on that in faith and confidence, whatever the enemy throws at me is a temporal loss, and I will not step back because I know that the one that wrote this book through the Holy Spirit that empowered men to write this book is the same one that's in me. And I'm not going to sacrifice my relationship and my, my place in heaven with him for anything this world has to offer. No tinsel crowns. We serve the God of the universe, the one that stepped out on nothing and created everything, the ancient of days, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is the uncaused cause. Nothing and no one created God, but he has created all. He holds everything we know, everything we see, touch, feel in the palm of his hand, and he upholds it by the power of his word. He is God, and he has revealed to us himself in his word. Read it. I don't know where to start. Read it. I don't understand it. Read it. The word of God also says the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And if you go before God and you knock and you seek, the door will be opened, the answer will be given, read it. Come along a more mature believer and ask him where to start. Do you believe he is who he says he is through the revelation of his word, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scripture? The word is his special revelation to us. We need to read it. We need to study it, and we need to abide in it. I don't want to stand before God and have figured out chemistry, real estate law, hunting, fishing, how to build heat and air. I don't want to stand before him with the excuse that I couldn't understand it. He's the self-revealing God. He reveals us, himself to us in his word, and it is foundational for us to study the word of God, to abide in his word, to become a student of his word. Build our foundation on his word. I encourage you to be like the man described in Psalms 1. In Psalms 1 through 4, it reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, that is his word, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doth not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers, and the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Meditate on the law of the Lord. Abide in his word. Not a verse of the day in passing. We'll have a verse of the day emailed to us, give it three seconds of attention, and then go home and sit down and scroll Facebook for an hour and a half so we can share the next dank meme. What is that? I'm not beating the sheep today, but I am exhorting you to follow the Lord with the same passion with which you seek to satisfy your earthly desires. Better yet, follow and seek the Lord with a greater passion than that which is applied to our earthly desires. Are we hungry for the word of God? Everyone goes through seasons But do we yearn to know God more? Is there a hunger in our spirit? The Holy Spirit brought me Psalm 63 in a time of need. Now, I was reading, I I was abiding in the word of God. And this is why I know all my perfectionists out there. There's a trap here. So I'm going to go ahead and expose that because we're supposed to be wise to the enemy's tactics. I was reading a chapter a day, baby. Every morning, it didn't matter how, I mean, I'd drive 95 to work. That's driving in the flesh. I don't recommend it. All right, but I'm going to get that chapter in. And after about two weeks, I realized I'm not retaining any of this. Like, I'd open up and I'd be like, what was that chapter about? I don't even know. What was the content of that? I was like, this isn't doing anybody any good. And I felt convicted, and I didn't read the Word that day. I just went to work. And I was like, all day, I was like, what did I read yesterday? What was in that chapter that I had to read? I had nothing. I was like, that's not how this is supposed to be. The Holy Spirit was dealing with me on that. And I was like, God, take me somewhere in your word. I also don't recommend this. It just happened to work, okay? This is not a formula. I was scrolling through the Psalms, and it was like I stopped at 63. My eyes started reading, and God gave it to me that way. That's not a formula. Don't just go finger-picking verses throughout the Bible and think it's going to be awesome for you. Uh, You could end up very confused. But this... This happened in a moment when I, he knew what I needed. And in Psalm 63 and 1 through 8, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And that was the only passage I read for like the next two weeks. I was like, I want that. I want that, God. I want to wake up in the middle of the night, and the first thing I think about is you. And as I meditated on that psalm, and as I prayed that time, and as I abided in the Word of God, so this abiding in the Word of God might mean you right here on eight verses for two weeks. I realized that when I woke up in the middle of the night, the first thing on my lips was praise to God. Alicia, if you would come, please. He'll give you these passages for us to hold on to in the valleys. 
the times of insecurity, the times where the, everything's closing in and it doesn't make sense. But we have to know it. In Matthew seven twenty four through 27, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock, the rock of Christ, the rock of God's word. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. His word, Jesus, these are red letters. He says, if you do what I tell you to do, you're wise. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If we don't do that, believer, there is also the warning. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came. The winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We see it every day. We see people falling every day because their faith and confidence was built on a bad foundation. We see preachers fall. We see Christian celebrities fall. We see believers fall away and turn cold. We see the world rage against our Lord. And the only way we stand firm is according to the word of God to build our house on the rock, build our life upon a steadfast faith on God, on Jesus, on the Holy Spirit, on the Word of God. It is the only reliable foundation to be found, believer. That's it. There's no room for to put your faith on a person, an institution, a celebrity. You put it on the Word of God. You meditate on it day and night. You hide it in your heart. And then when the enemy comes, you stand firm because your house was built on a firm foundation. The enemy is coming, believer. The hour is late and the time is short. The enemy is coming. I don't think better of myself. I stumble all the time with regular study and reading. But as believers, we're to challenge each other, exhort each other, correct each other, and share the truth in love with one another and with the world. Sanctify them by truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, John 17. If we are to know truth, we need to know the word of God because those two things are the same. And if we're to share truth, we have to know the word of God. If we're going to stand for truth, we have to know the Word of God. If we're not going to be swept away in the torrents of this world, we have to build our house on the rock, which is the Word of God. We have to put on the armor of God, which is the Word of God, our shield of faith, our helmet of salvation, our belt of truth, our feet shod in peace, and our sword of the Spirit, all of which are the Word of God, believer. This last passage from Hebrews sums it up. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. The Greek for that means irritate the fire out of one another. What you, hold each other accountable. Call your buddy out the blue. Hey, man, what you studying the Word today? What you been thinking on? What have you been abiding in? Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm not perfect. I'm not great. Don't put your faith in me. I'm just a dude with an assignment. But I can point you to the one on which your foundation should be built. I can point you to the book that has been transcribed and translated and is still kept by the power of God, which is the same power that upholds everything in the universe by its word. So yes, he can keep a book together. Put your faith in the word of God. If this message stirs a desire in you, to faithfully seek God in his word, to abide in his word, and to know him and the truth. I invite you to come and just stand before the Lord and make that your prayer today. That I've made mistakes, I've slipped up, I haven't been in the word the way I should be, but I want to. The altars are open. If this message today convicts your heart, know that it's from God. If this message today condemns you, know that that is an attack of the enemy. And all you got to do is remind them of the Word of God. Amen. Those in the altar, I pray a blessing over you. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you've given us the revelation of yourself, that we may know you closer, that we may grow in you, 
Father, we just, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you anoint us with your spirit, that you empower us with your spirit to go forward into the world, to know the truth, to make the truth known, Father God, to stand resolute on the truth, to be as eager to know your word as we are to know sports scores, to be as eager to know you and spend time with you as we are to participate in our hobbies. Father God, I pray that you draw us closer as, as the body of Christ, as your bride prepares for your return, Father God. Use us each to glorify you, to bring honor and glory to your kingdom, Father God. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a blessed Lord's Day. And don't forget, if you want to meet with those from Christ Chapel East about the launch, they're having a meeting right up in the grill immediately following service.